Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Silvati's podcast. Today, I've got Monica Blackburn, who's an osteopath, joining me today. And we're going to be talking about the osteoidentity crisis. So thank you so much for joining me today, Monica. Thank you for having me. And yeah, so you posted an Instagram post a while ago now, and it really resonated with me. And I'm sure it'll resonate with other people as well about this osteoidentity crisis. And I do want to get more into that um, a little bit in a couple of minutes. but. I just wanted to introduce you and just put context to people who might not know you. Um, so you're a BCom um, alumni as well. Yeah. So that's very exciting. I didn't know yeah. that until I started looking up a new website. That was so cool. Yeah, I graduated from BCom in 2011. So nine years ago now, which seems like quite a lifetime. Um, but yeah, I really loved my time at BCom. I think at the time it was very difficult, like everyone went through, but there's a really great community of osteopaths and a, I think a, a different special view on osteopathy and health that we get from studying at BCom, which I'm very proud of. Absolutely. I always feel this sort of sense of connection when someone says they've studied at BCom because you feel like I know exactly what you've been through. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I agree. I'm, prob I'm probably not selling our profession very well right now, but it's great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is. It's just a tough process, but it's so rewarding at the same time. Yeah, I think at the time you don't understand the process um, and how tough it is. And then as you look back on it, you realize that the process is there and the time of the process is there for a reason. And if it was any shorter or any less tough, I think, you know, we wouldn't be the osteopaths that we are when you come out of there. So I really respect it and love it now. Yeah. And has your practice developed and changed over the years since you graduated? Oh my God, so much. I think it changes daily and weekly. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting thing because you come out of uni and I definitely felt this, that, you know, I was like, going to be an osteopath. I'm going to cure the world with osteopathy. It's the best thing ever. People are going to come and see me. I'm going to treat them once or twice and they'll never need to see me again. And then you really realize your limitations. You realize how much you still need to learn. You realize maybe the difference between how strong or how sensitive you have to be with treatment or different uh, presentations of uh, the same conditions, all of that kind of stuff. And there's a constant evolution, even from patient to patient, I think that um, is just such a journey, such a journey. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm not, I'm only what, a year and a half out and I'm still sort of struggling day to day in terms of like, I don't know what I'm doing today. I still feel like that sometimes. Oh, good. So don't worry. I'm like, what, nine years in, I'm still like, mm, I, I don't know. I know I'm safe. I know, you know, that your treatment's going to be effective, but, you know, we do the best we can in a safe manner, I guess. Absolutely. And you're not just an osteopath, you're actually a tutor as well, because you tutor at Elcom, is that right? Yes, that's right. How did you get into tutoring? Um, so a couple of years ago, oh, that was three years ago, I started tutoring. And so I've been qualified for six years. And again, it was one of these kind of evolutions of my career, I guess, um, where I felt like I wanted a bit more and I also wanted to be connected to the osteopath community a little bit more as well so um, straight out of uni I started working by myself and I started my own clinic um, and have been working primarily by myself ever since which 
is great in one respect and, you know, I'm very proud of what I've accomplished, but it also holds you back in other respects where maybe I don't have a daily discourse with osteopaths, you know, don't sit around lunch table talking about presentations. I don't know if other people actually do that, but in my mind, I think of these big practices of people doing that. And I started feeling slightly disconnected from the osteopath community. And I think some of that also comes out of, you know, what we'll talk about later with that identity crisis, where I was aligned a lot more with personal trainers, because I was working in a gym and physios and all these other kind of practitioners that I wanted to kind of reconnect with more osteopaths. And I also felt like I actually had something that I could teach people now. So I'd been qualified for six years. I'd gone through processes. I'd learned my way and thought, you know, this was a, a good time to impose some of my wisdom however much or little I may have, you know, for other And you have students. lots, just judging from, <laughs> just even from the Instagram posts, they're so informative, they're so succinct. And I always look forward to your posts and I'm like, oh, oh thank okay, you. I'm going to get something out of this. And I always, oh, thank I'm going to say steal your ideas. I definitely borrow them. I mean, um, we all borrow from someone. So, you know, but that's yeah. another really important thing. And um, obviously I put a lot of time and effort into my Instagram, um, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what else is going on in one's life. You know, it's a, it's, it's a big commitment for what you put into Instagram or any social media platform. And quite a few years ago, I was so tired of seeing really rubbish information coming out on there. Or also I was really tired of people who, maybe weren't promoting health or back pain or sports injuries or anything like that in kind of positive ways. And as osteopaths, we're not necessarily the loudest people out there, but we have a really good knowledge and a really good understanding of the human body and injuries and health. And I thought it was really important um, to start using Instagram for good, I guess, and making sure that what we're putting out there reflects our profession, our knowledge, but also helps people who are in pain and maybe fearful and putting that knowledge down as opposed to just maybe what you see out of influencers or, you know, the, the gym posts or stuff like that, you know. Absolutely. And it definitely comes across that, you know, you do put a lot of time into your posts because, and I mean, we've never met him in person. And <laughs> yeah. the reason why we know each other is through Instagram. And I think yeah. that's such a powerful tool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, um, it was Jilly Woodhouse who came to um, BCom in my last year to give us a talk. And she was talking about social media. And we were like, well, who, who are we looking for in social media? And the first name she said was yours. It's amazing. So I was, literally, you had like about 25 people on their phone, literally programming, <laughs> like finding who MBF osteopathy is. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so just know that it makes a difference and other oh, people are noticing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Because other professions and, you know, I, I mean, I work alongside physios and a lot of physios are really good at social media. But you're mm. right, when it comes to osteopaths, we're not like you said, the loudest in the room. We're not saying to people how good we are, what we can do and what we can treat and the wide variety of things that we can treat. Mm, 
And Absolutely. you were good at that because I noticed a couple of, um, I think it was last week you posted something about treating hands and treating feet. And I was like, mm. people yeah. think we just treat backs. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, I mean, we have to, or going back, we're not very loud. And I don't know what it is about osteopaths that we're not good at selling ourselves. We're not the loudest in the room. We don't like to market ourselves. We don't like to even ask for money. We, it's almost like going, hey, that will be 50 pounds if that's okay. You know, it's, it's almost like we would all be doing this for free if we could, um, which is great. I mean, I would if I could, but you know, I also have a mortgage to pay. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think social media is a really hard place, but it's also a really important place to get our word across. And there's a real problem in our profession of, I don't know if it's a misidentity, if it's bad press, bad PR, but people don't know what we do still. And it's getting better. And in certain places, it's getting better. But I still get people come in calling me a physio, thanking me for the massage, um, you know, going, well, you've treated my back, but I'm going to see the physio for my knee and things like that, which, you know, it just hurts you inside and make gives you a really heavy feeling when you go oh but I can do that too and you're constantly having to either convince people or you know it's not hard to promote yourself because we all love what we do I don't think I've met a single osteopath who doesn't love the profession so we want to scream from the rooftops but at the same time there's people screaming louder yeah and this is where things like social media like you said, are so important. Mm, mm. Yeah. But also to connect with other people, especially, I mean, the majority of the people that I know on Instagram, I've never met. And it could be potentially, well, patients I've met, but, you know, osteopaths around the world, Pilates instructors, even physios, chiropractors. But it's a great way to connect, to have a conversation and a discourse. And I feel sometimes when I go on in the morning and I have, you know, drinking my coffee and looking at Instagram for half an hour, it's almost like I'm at the office checking in on my colleagues. And these are people I've never met. And it's a really lovely thing. You know, it's not just sitting there on Instagram. It's, you know, it's a bit more of a personal thing. Yeah, and it's connecting with people. And that's mm. the whole point of this whole podcast is just to be able to connect with other professionals, you know, listeners, whoever, and just disseminate this information. Because often, like you said, we tend to work in our own practices. We don't have that constant daily interaction with other yeah. osteopaths. And so the only people who are talking to are patients most of the time. And that's, yeah. a, you know, that can be tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think we need, to get, we need to get you on TikTok next. I think that's the next step. No, no, I'm too old for all that. <laughs> I draw a line. <laughs> I'm on it. And I tell you, I, I spend far too much time on it. It's uh, or on TikTok? Yeah, just watching yeah. content. It's funny and it's really creative. And that's what I really like about it. But holy moly, like I can spend a good hour and be like, it's 1 a.m., go to sleep. <laughs> 
And then wonder why you can't get to sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I'm awake and then I go on more TikTok. Anyway, yeah. um, so coming back to something we were talking about earlier, this um, post that you did about the osteoidentity crisis. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said before, I definitely resonated with it. And I felt like you hit home oh. in a really good way. And I was like, okay, I'm feeling this way. I bet other people are. And I've had conversations. That's what I love about the post is it spurred conversations with my friends that I graduated. I'm like, hey, is anyone else out there really struggling with this? And the amazing response I got was yes. Yeah. And so what spurred you to write that post? What was behind that? I mean, in that moment, I can't tell you, but I often, I give, um, I have moments where I feel a lot more vulnerable and I want to put a lot more out on social media. Um, maybe it's come from a bad day or a bad week or something, you know, maybe it was a particular patient or something that was happening. And what's really interesting is the more vulnerable you are, and you don't have to do this with all your posts because then it gets a bit much as well, but that's where people really connect with you and you know that you're talking to someone else. And I've struggled so much. So I've, like I said earlier, I've been qualified for nine years. And so there's been so many waves and ups and downs and positives, highs and lows of my career. Um, mostly positive, but with the identity crisis, it's really difficult because like I was saying earlier, you get thanked for your physio appointment or the massage you gave people. Um, over lockdown, there was loads of people, you know, everyone in the fitness industry was going to Zoom and doing Zoom classes and maybe doing, the physios were doing Zoom consultations and, you know, everyone was doing all this stuff. And as an osteopath, I found it really difficult. And everyone's asking, are you gonna do this? You're gonna do this? Because I didn't feel like I could offer people virtually what we can offer in person. And maybe for physios, it's a bit easier because, and this is not a negative thing, I don't want anything to ever come across as a negative connotation. Um, but their treatment tends to be a lot more exercise-based, rehab-based. And so they're able to go through protocols and things online. But as osteopaths, we might give some exercises and stuff, but primarily our treatment is our hands and hands-on treatment. And so I started feeling quite vulnerable in that sense of saying, well, I can give you exercises. I can, you know, go through, do some Pilates stuff, which is the best, but, um, you know, I'm not a Pilates instructor. I'm not a physio. I'm not a personal trainer. I, you know, if you want to lose lots of weight, I can give you some nutritional advice, but maybe you need to work with a dietitian. Maybe, you know, there's all these other practitioners and therapists that can help people. And it's hard to remember what makes or maybe it's easy to remember but we just have to remember what makes us special as osteopaths and why people come to see us as osteopaths um and yeah i feel like i'm waffling a bit but no, i feel like um, i'm in church it's great <laughs> <laughs> you know we have a different set of principles we have a different philosophy we have a different outlook on the body none of it's better or worse it's just different 
And we all chose osteopathy for a reason, not to be a chiropractor or a massage therapist or a physio. And I think it's really important to remember all of those things and why people come to see osteopaths. And, you know, we help people and we make them feel better. And I might not take you through a 12-week ACL reconstruction rehab protocol, but if that's what you need, I'll send you to the physio I work with. And how right? important, exactly. And how important is that to be able to recognize that we do something slightly different to other professionals? And Absolutely. actually, if you need that 12-week program, you're better off maybe going to a physio who's yeah. been in those rotations, worked in that setting and that hospital setting, yeah. that knows that protocol and knows what to expect and what to do when things don't go as per the protocol. Absolutely. I've never done that in my training. Me neither. Yeah. You know, I'll give you some quad strengthening stuff with a band that is never going to get you fully better um, in that sense. Yeah. But... I can mobilize and I can do soft tissue and I can acupuncture and I will look at your entire biomechanical chain. And, you know, it like that's, you, you know, I guess that's again where the magic happens is where you can either see where our strengths and weaknesses are, because I think it's just as important to know where your weakness is as a therapist and when to refer on to someone. And patients will respect that more than you flogging that, you know, injury out every, you know, week in, week out. Um, so it's just as important to know that as to know what your strengths are and to say, well, you've got headaches. I can manipulate your occiput C1 and your headache will go away like that. Whereas the physio probably won't be able to do that. And I know that that, you know, you've got acute disc problem. I can treat that far better than maybe the physio would or some whatever insert you know therapist yeah. practitioner here yeah. you know and one thing that we don't do is we don't brag about what we can do it's yeah. and it's it's not even a humble brag it's i can treat this come yeah. book an appointment and I, i'll get you better but it's so you were saying earlier about like imposter syndrome the thing is <sighs> It pisses me off so much that we, any of us feel this because, but it's not just osteopaths, it's every person in every career, you know, imposter syndrome is rife. It all, you know, and I don't know if it's getting worse because of the online world and, the, um, you know, social media and everyone just talking about how good they are and stuff. Um, but I had a patient recently phone up and say, I've seen an osteopath before and he was very, very good, which is always, an, you know, alarm bells in the back of your head because you know that patient's going to come in with a certain set of ideals and standards that he's going to want met or she. I say, oh, do you specialize in necks? I'm like, I mean, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I specialize in the whole body, right? <laughs> so do specialize in necks and I'm already inside having that feeling of going do I specialize in necks I mean no not really so am I the person am I the right practitioner for this person but he's dictating to me what he wants in that sense or his ideal of what we want and so that feeds in going oh does he need a, a neck specialist and you're like no of course I specialize in necks and shoulders and feet and hips and jaws and everything um, 
and he subsequently came in and had treatment and felt great. So, but I think it, you know, it just feeds into that imposter syndrome of saying, Oh my God, am I, am I good enough? Am I, do I know enough? Am I the right person to help this person? And I think that patients will, it's going to say, always want you to be honest, never lead with, Oh, I'm not sure if I'm the right person for you. If you think that you are qualified to treat a problem that someone's presenting with, which we are, what, 95% of the time, probably? Go for it. (laughs) And why do you think that this imposter syndrome, well, first of all, what's the difference for you? Because it's going to be different for everyone between, you know, the imposter syndrome uh, and the osteoidentity crisis. Oh, hmm. Um, I think they're very similar. I think, I think the imposter syndrome is probably more rooted in what we think we don't know, or maybe expectations of patients or something like that. And so I think it's a lot more of a personal thing and within that kind of realm. Whereas I think the identity crisis lies more within the professional realm and how we measure ourselves up against other professionals. Um, And, you know, like I said, that could be physios, chiropractors, massage therapists, Pilates instructors, fitness instructors, GPs even, you know. So I think it lies more in that realm and having the confidence in our training, our knowledge, and also the respect we have or don't have within the kind of medical community. Um, And one thing that you talked about earlier was that we are manual therapists. We use our hands, you know, we treat with our hands. And that's something that I definitely struggled in because I work in the NHS. And you know, in the beginning, everyone was like, oh, you do a lot of manual therapy. I'm like, but I don't know anything different. Mm. Not that I don't know anything other, but that's what I do. That's what I'm trained in. Yes, I can do some exercise prescription, but this is what I'm good at. Yeah. And that definitely made me question, am I in the right place? Um, is my training good enough? Mm. I went through, and I probably still, like, where I question every diagnosis. I'm like, well, is it this? So is it facet? Is it more of, of, of a muscle hypertonicity issue? Am I looking at the right stuff? And I, I, it does come down to just trust the training. Trust your training, because wherever you study, it's going to be good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And so does that influence how you teach now? Like... So, yeah. So, like I said earlier, I started teaching after being qualified for six years. And I was like, like I said, I was in a bit of a transition anyways with my career and maybe my work schedule because I was moving premises. And so I had a bit of extra time and that kind of stuff as well. So I felt like I had something that I could teach or that I had something to say now, some experience to kind of give. And so I teach at the London College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is in Marylebone in central London. And it's a really, really unique college because it is a shortened course uh, 
to teach medically trained individuals, primarily uh, GPs um, or other kind of orthopedic specialists, something like that. And it's an 18 month course to teach them to be an osteopath. So we have a lot of practitioners there or students, I should say, who maybe have been a GP for 20 years or worked in the NHS system who have felt their limitations as medical practitioners um, or within the NHS who are looking for something different. And what most of the uh, students, practitioners end up doing is merging the two together. So they might still work in general practice, but now they have manual therapy skills to be able to treat the disc problem or the facet problem in their private practice, in their general practice, um, which is quite a special thing. And I've been there a few years working with different GPs and students there. And over the years, I'm realizing how special it is to be able to have those manual therapy skills. And as osteopaths that trained at BCom or BSO or any of the other full-time courses, maybe we take that for granted now that, oh yeah, I can click your neck and yeah, that's just simple and just rub that muscle out and rebalance things. But for people who don't have any exposure to that or haven't had any training in that, it's huge. It's huge. So again, you know, it can help us as osteopaths go, we have a really valid, really important role in helping manage people's not only musculoskeletal health, but overall health as well, because we give um, patients, that's the word I'm looking for, we give patients time, we talk about all aspects of their health. Half the time, I'm you know, more of a counselor or a therapist than I am anything else, which I'm sure you can relate to. Um, we talk about sleep, nutrition, we uh, give them exercise. They give people just time to either be quiet or to talk. And all of that is just as valid as the hands-on treatment, which is super important as well. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and how amazing is it to be able to teach other professionals our skills and then for, for them to go on and value it to start with? Yeah. Because sometimes yeah. I feel like other professionals might not value the training that we do, but then value it and then go practice with it and oh. incorporate it into different other, like different professions. And like you said, merge the two. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, ultimately, if you think about the holy grail of healthcare, which might never, ever happen, but if you think in your, you know, utopia world, that if you could have, you know, it's almost like you'd want a whole team of people sitting around a table and you've got your GP and you've got your specialist and you've got a, someone, a psychologist to do CBT and you've got an osteopath and maybe a physio and you've got a Pilates instructor and you've got, um, I don't know, the huge amounts of different people who could all feed in to the same issue and go, we work together. This is where true health comes from. It's not just body, mind, and soul. It's physical, mental, emotional. It's what we eat, we drink. It's what we think. It's the words we use. It's, you know, the environment we live in. 
Yeah. And I know I think I'm getting a little bit far-fetched and right. stuff here, but you know, that's the, the healthcare utopia. So as the more connections you can make, whether it's through teaching and different disciplines or valuing your strengths and your weaknesses so you can work with other professionals, that's where the magic happens, you know? Yeah. And that multidisciplinary approach is something that I've definitely talked about with other teachers mm. and other professionals. And it's, it's often seen the same way. It's like you have all these different influences for the same goal, because we all want the same yeah. thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Why don't you think, and maybe this is a question for the whole profession, really, mm. or the whole medical profession, why don't you think we're moving towards that or are we moving towards that? I don't think we are. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. It's hard. I think, and not to be pessimistic and crass, but I think a lot of, a lot of it has to do with money. Yeah. And if you're in private practice, and I'll be the first one to put my hands up here, you know, years ago, you know, you want to hang on to every patient you can because... It's finances. And you go, oh, well, they need that. I, I can kind of do that for them as well. Do they need rehab? Well, I'll, I'll do that. Or I can do, I'll try and do everything for them to keep that patient. And then, like we were saying earlier, you realize you don't have to be everything for everyone. You learn where to refer. And then if you're looking at it as a bigger whole, you know, it's time, it's money, it's energy, it's effort. And I feel like if you had like a privately funded healthcare center where that could happen, and then that, but that becomes elitist healthcare, which I am wholeheartedly against. So yeah. that's maybe a, a conversation for a different day. <laughs> we'll have to bring you back on. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> but, and, and that's part of the reason what attracted me to work in the NHS. I mean, I had worked previously there in the NHS setting under mental health. Um, and when this opportunity came up, I applied, I got it. I was like, okay, great. I'm going to be able to deliver this osteopathic approach or these treatments to people who might not necessarily be exposed to it. Yeah. But as a result... I, you know, my, my training got questioned, my techniques got questioned, my approach got questioned, and it's hard to keep that resilience because you mm. feel like, well, I'm not a physiotherapist, big respect to those who are because it's hard too. And what they do is really good. And I can say that now having worked alongside them, yeah. but I'm not a physiotherapist. This yeah. is what I do. And so my question then to you is how do we as osteopaths or, you know, in any profession, because we all experience these feelings of, of doubt or uncertainty, how do we boost our confidence? Because you talked about superpowers in your post and I loved that. <laughs> and you asked everyone what their superpower was, but how do we then collectively, I suppose, boost our confidence? I think more conversations like this um, more, I was going to say get-togethers, that sounds cheesy, um, getting together with osteopaths. So whenever I come back from a CPD course, 
I feel rejuvenated. And obviously I haven't been on one for a while because of this year. Um, but for, again, so going back, I used to do a lot of um, CPD courses that were primarily movement, mobility-based stuff because that's where my passion and my love in health and the body lies. But then in that comes lots of sports people and massage therapists and physios and everything, which is great because you meet lots of people from different um, professions. And then I realized I needed to be around osteopaths. And sometimes you have to reconnect with the profession and osteopaths and osteopathy and, you know, all of that to remember what makes us special and that we are all feeling the same things and we go through the same stuff, but we also look at the body in a different way. And in saying all of this, you know, I don't have a local osteopathic group that I go to and maybe should either find one or start one, but, you know, seek out your local osteopathic group, start one if there isn't one, create local um, Facebook groups, things like that, because, you know, it's great being connected to people all over the world through social media in that way, but at the same time, or all over the country, but it's really nice to be super connected to people that are local to you. And I think more conversations and going to your CPD courses and all of that kind of stuff is, you know, where we recharge our superpowers, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would you say your superpower is then? <laughs> and I'm putting you on the spot. I know you are. Um, I'm really, really good at manipulations. So, you know. <laughs> if I do say so myself. Um, I love soft tissue, really good at, you know, balancing the body, I guess. Yeah. And this is what I want people to do. I want people to listen to this, to be able to resonate with what you're saying, because I definitely did. And then to not just come away with it, we're like, well, yeah, we're all feeling this, babe, but what can we do about it? You know, yeah. and and maybe this sort of, healthcare utopia approach happens one day who knows one of us just has to have a lot of money to fund that maybe <laughs> <laughs> or we get you in the nhs and we help change it from the inside out probably just as difficult <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but in saying that you know Osteopaths are being recognized very slowly but surely in the NHS. Um, there's more primary care trusts that are taking osteopaths on. It's all very slow. The Institute of Osteopathy is working diligently to get osteopaths recognized more in the NHS. Um, you know, there's brilliant people like Cor Clapton. I'm sure you know of them who are doing getting osteopathy into the community and either giving free treatments or massively reduced treatments for people who otherwise couldn't afford it so you know there's there's stuff happening within our profession which is really positive um even you know osteopaths are now seen on a lot of uh pro sports teams on the olympic teams um seen at wimbledon things like that which all of that which is very publicly seen is very positive stuff for the profession. So even though I always, you know, I might talk about the doom and gloom of 
our identity crises and things, you have to, I think, see where the profession's moving as well. And there's people doing good work to promote us. And where would you like the profession to go in the next five or 10 years? What would you want to see more of or hope for? Um, I think for the next five, 10 years of the profession, it would be great to see osteopaths a lot more, I guess, confident in their standing, taking more to social media to promote themselves, putting out really good quality information, help, you know, videos, exercises, things that come from our point of view. Um, And for people, the public, to think of osteopaths amongst the first, you know, couple of people they might go see when they've got back pain or a sports injury, not necessarily at the bottom of the, the pile when they've tried everything else, which I hear all the time. So for patients to go, oh, ow, let me call my osteopath. I guess that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, amazing. One of the things that you post about um, quite often, and I know you practice it yourself, is Pilates. Yes. How did you get introduced into Pilates? Um, So initially, I got kind of told about Pilates and stuff, probably when I was studying at BCom. And one of our uh, tutors took all us girls aside who were all hypermobile and saying, you're never going to you know, be able to get through a day's work with your bad backs if you don't do Pilates. None of us listened, none of us did it, you know, which I wish I had. Um, But I suffered really badly with a bad back, possibly a spondylolisthesis, but being a good practitioner, I've never actually had any scans. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but it goes, but quite severe back problems, sciatica and such for a long time. Um, And I finally got into Pilates about 2012-ish to start kind of trying to strengthen my low back. And I didn't, I did some, not probably enough. And then it was about four or five years ago my back problems turned into a knee problem because of the kinetic chains and enough was enough. And I just couldn't put up with the pain anymore. So I stopped doing everything that hurt me, which I love doing, but it hurt me. And I did nothing but Pilates for about a year and a half. And I was doing it four times a week for about a year and a half. And I finally stopped having pain and was able to start doing the things that previously I'd wanted to do. So, you know, it changed my life. That's amazing. And obviously I'm slightly biased because I'm a Pilates instructor as well. And, and we have a mutual connection as well. Yeah. Um, but what I really appreciated was that you were talking about things that you've tried yourself. And so often what I find is that other practitioners, osteopaths, physios, were like, oh yeah, you should go try Pilates or you should try this type of class in the gym. And I'm like, well, have you tried it? And they were like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Like, I'm sure it's good for you. I'm like, but how do you know that how do you know it's good then if you've not tried it yourself? What yeah. I love is that you're actually practicing what you preach. You probably do more Pilates 
more than I do. Um, Not like, currently, but you know. <laughs> I'd love to be able to get out to a class four times a week, but that's amazing. But and and how important is it for you to advocate to your patients then about things that you've done and you've seen the benefit from? I think it's everything. So it's not only about the empathy that you can have for patients. So if you've had, I'm not saying you have to have had back pain or an injury to be a good practitioner, but if you can empathize with your patients and what they're going through because of their injuries and whatnot, then, you know, they're going to respect you and trust you more. And if you can give them honest, um, I guess, honesty, about your own conditions, your own problems, what you've done to help yourself, then they're just going to listen to you more. And I don't know, not a skinny mini. I'm never going to have a six pack. I'm not going to be the person who's going to be down at the gym six days a week and never eating a slice of bread anymore because, you know, it's not me. But I can talk to you about Pilates. I can tell you about how much it will change your life, how it will strengthen your back, and you won't be in pain. It might take time, but, you know. Yeah, and that's so important because I think in today's world, everyone's looking for that quick fix, for that yeah. instant. I am. <laughs> I mean, no, me too. Like, I've currently got a broken foot, and I'm like, well, what's how, how long is this going to take? Come on, let's go. I've got patients yeah. to treat. I want to go back to running. I want to do all these things, and I can't do that. Like, let's go. Yeah. But it's advocating that it will take time. Yeah. And not just with Pilates, but even sometimes with our treatment. You know, it's not a you're going to feel instantly resolved in one session it might take a couple of sessions it might take mm. referring you to somebody else or doing this mm. exercise and just or looking at your sleep looking at your emotional uh, like you talked about yeah. sort of like you tend to talk to people about their feelings and in, in their sessions as well mm, definitely so I feel like it's advocating this whole sort of just take time for yourself and not in a self-care kind of way because I think in a way that hashtag has been overused to death oh it's been flogged to death Men, you know, mindfulness and wellness and stuff is just, it's cliche now. It's, yeah, <laughs> again, stop. it's a whole other conversation, but. Yeah, and it loses its meaning. Not to say it's not important. It just loses no. its value and meaning when it's used in ways that it wasn't meant to. Definitely, definitely. Having, having a mimosa on a Sunday brunch is not self-care. I mean, it sounds good though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can tell the kind of content I'm looking at on Instagram and yeah. TikTok. <laughs> yeah. But I get patients a lot who will, maybe not a lot, but I was going to say, who might have one session and they go, well, I'm not really better. So I'm going to go somewhere else. They're like, all right. Or depending on your mood, you might try to convince them otherwise. And sometimes you might go, well, they've already made their mind up. So you know <laughs> um but you know you have to kind of explain to people that if it took a while for your body to get to this place it's never gonna like unravel overnight and you need to kind of be patient and be kind with yourself and you know be be on the journey together I guess yeah and that's what I definitely get from you is this approachability to then explain like this is a journey this is this whole process 
And I definitely, especially from speaking to you and when we've been messaging, feel supported. And if I oh, get that, nice. I can imagine your patients are going to get that as well. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, definitely. So I just want to thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for bringing up this topic that we all are feeling and we don't talk enough about and yeah. just being able to spur this conversation on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And keep it going because, you know, it's not all sour either. You know, it's almost like I want us to all, I want us to sing from the rooftops about how amazing we are. Because if you ever forget about how amazing an osteopath or osteopathy is, book yourself in for a treatment. And maybe that's what osteopaths need to do more often is get yourself a treatment from someone because then you walk out of there going, oh my God, that was so amazing. That wasn't just a massage. That wasn't just clicking. That wasn't just anything, you know? So sing from the rooftops and let the world know how amazing we are. We shouldn't be afraid of singing our own praises. Yeah, definitely. So Monica, where can people find your clinics? Where can they find you online? Uh, so I've got two clinics. One is in central London on Warren Street. And the other one is in Hoddesdon in Hertfordshire. And then my website is www.mfb-osteopathy.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms at MFB Osteo. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank and you for having me. We'll have to bring you back again to talk about everything Anytime. else that we didn't get time to. Anytime. <laughs> Take care. Thank you.